I think the biggest thing for me is allowing yourself the release of saying, you know what, it's okay if I fail. If you just allow yourself that opportunity for humility and the opportunity to say, you know what, it's okay if things just don't go quite right, to be okay to say, you know what, I'll just pick myself up and, you know, dust myself back off and keep on going, keep on trucking. It's how you handle it is what's the key. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Hey ladies, it's time to put your badass boss babe hat on. Head over to femcanic.com's resource page and create your personal listing and your business listing if you have one of those too. No cost to you at all, just shameless self-promotion. Talent recruiters for jobs, radio, and TV gigs have leveraged this page to discover talent. Come on ladies, It's time to get your self-promotion on. Remember, femcanic.com, resource tab at the top, and click the Yes, I'm a Badass Woman. Mercedes Lilienthal is in the driver's seat today. She's an Oregon-based freelance photojournalist who contributes to the New York Times and several automotive outlets like Car and Driver, Forbes Wheels, Autoblog, and more. Mercedes is the editor-at-large of Tread Magazine and featured editor of Toyota Cruisers and Trucks. Now let's dive into her story, where she takes a huge risk to become a photojournalist in the automotive industry after spending 20 years as an interior designer. Now let's sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B coming to you, and I have Mercedes Lilienthal. Did I get it? You got it. Boom. Yes, you did. Gonna have to edit some of that out. Merce- Mercedes Lilienthal. Ooh. Mercedes Lilienthal. Lilienthal. Mercedes Lilienthal. Yes. That sounds so you got it. dignified. Lilienthal. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Mercedes, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. I stumbled upon you as I stumble upon many of the women that I find, and your story intrigued me. You intrigued me. Um, I I have such an admiration for writers uh, because I'm not one, if I'm being perfectly honest. I'm a talker, right? Writing, not my thing. Talking, my thing. But when I am able to find a writer that keeps my attention, I take notice of it. My listeners know this, but I have ADHD. And long-form writing is very challenging for me to stick with, if that makes sense. Uh, So when I can find a writer, it's, it's truly an art form, that can keep my attention and captivate me. And the fact that you focus on automotive, I'm like, yay. <laughs> so thank you for being you 
and uh, leveraging your skills to share the stories of women. When you and I were talking, we're kind of kinder and souls in the sense that we both have a passion for spotlighting and uplifting women in this industry. Right. Uh, we use different mediums to do it, but it's the same value and principle. And uh, when we can get together and I can showcase other women in all aspects of this industry, I want to take advantage of it and spotlight you. Even though you don't need that much help being in the spotlight because some of your work has been published in the New York Times. Um, not many writers can say that. <laughs> That's a pretty big deal. And your writing has been showcased in many uh, industry publications. But before we get to that point, you weren't always there, right? There's an evolution and a journey to get there, as with every one of my guests. And it's oftentimes what I tell my kids. Uh, it's not the destination, it's the journey that we have to really sit back, pause enough to really enjoy it. Even though we may be struggling at the time, it is still part of the journey. And that's the beauty. So let's back up. I want to get to know Mercedes way back when. Did you always know that you wanted to be a writer? And did you always been drawn to automotive and motorsports? I did not know that I wanted to be a writer. Um, I've always enjoyed writing. Uh, first off, uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, it's been a pleasure so far, and I'm excited to speak with you. Um, as far as writing, I've, I've always enjoyed writing. That was one of the my strong suits in, in grade school and high school and you know writing essays and things like that. I, I excelled at that. I always enjoyed it, but I never really felt that I was destined to become a writer, much less an automotive writer. As far as the uh, motorsports part of it, or me being a gearhead, that's been through and through since you know really really tiny you know young age. Um, you know my parents emigrated from Germany, and and uh, my my papa was always into into cars, and he was fixing them up, and he was a welder, fabricator, and blacksmither. So a lot of the times I was in the kid, you know, just a child at home holding the flashlight as he was working on internals or, or, you know, sitting there with a little tiny brush and he'd show me how to do a toothpick and a brush for touching up rock chips because we lived in Wisconsin and there's just a ton of gravel, ton of, you know, salt and everything and the cars get beat up pretty bad. And, and so I just always had an interest because it could take you places, um, you know, vehicles of any sort, no matter if it's two wheel, four wheel, six wheel, trains, planes, you know, any of that type of stuff it's a method to be able to transport you to a different place. And sometimes that can take you back emotionally or propel you forward to something that you've never experienced before that changes your life and you just don't know it at the time. So for, for me, it's you know, my journey, depending on how far back you want to go, my journey's you know, taken me forwards, backwards, sideways through multiple loop-de-loops. And, you know, right now I, I find myself sitting here as an automotive journalist and also a PR and marketing consultant. And um, I wouldn't want to have it any other way. Wow. You talk about the loop-de-loops. It's, it sounds like an amazing roller coaster ride, like one that you would definitely <laughs> wait three hours in a line to ride. Right. In, right. Yeah. Yeah. Parts of it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, maybe that's a great analogy we all need to kind of remind ourselves about is, you know, life is this roller coaster. And let's remember the thrill of it. It's right. like when you get to the top of the hill and you're, especially if you're sitting in the front row and you're starting to go over, it's like fear, 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 <laughs> but you're right. going anyway. Right. And then afterwards you're like so jacked up and excited once you get off the ride. Right. And even 
during the ride, sometimes you pause. But I want to kind of go back and level set. When you graduated high school, like, where did you go from there? Because everyone's always asked, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? And depending on your family, I know there's a, a lot of people who felt like they had no other choice but to go to college. There's a whole other group of people who always knew that they wanted to go into the services in the military. And then there's another group that always knew that they wanted to get into the trades. Where were you at at that point? You know, gosh, when it was high school, um, like everybody in high school, you try to fit in. Um, I never really felt like I fit in anywhere, but I felt like in part I fit in everywhere. Um, I was a band geek <laughs> and also I sang. Um, I think that was where my creativity really started taking What note. instrument, just out of curiosity? Flute and piccolo. Piccolo, really? Yes. And I still have two flutes and a piccolo. I get really winded very quickly and I'm very rusty when I play them, but occasionally I do take them out. I think most people know what a flute is. Can you explain to them what a piccolo is? A piccolo is a very, very small mini me version of a flute and it's really high pitched and you can make it really loud and it's it's hard to play those because your fingers are jammed right up against mm-hmm. each other. It's only maybe, I don't know, eight inches, 10 inches long versus a flute, you know, is quite a bit longer, but um, it's fun. It's fun. You could do some fun things with uh, playing the piccolo. I'm thinking of the parent aspect of that, listening to the very high pitched. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably deaf by now, so... <laughs> So, so yeah. when, when you left high school, what did you end up deciding to do? You know, um, as I as I mentioned, my parents emigrated from Germany in the 60s and they came over via job opportunity. And um, after their kind of loop-de-loop ride to be able to start their own business, they they settled in central Wisconsin after several years in Chicago and, and um, kind of built up their business and built their own house. Of course, European style where everything was steel rebar, concrete block, you know, the only wood in the house was shingling and paneling. But while they did that, their roots were there and their roots were there. But my father really wanted to go back home. He was very homesick. Um, so we had two kids, my um, my sister, who's six years older and then myself and then my mother and father. And by home, Germany, just to be clear. Right. I mean, their, their roots were temporarily, well, not temporarily, but I mean, their roots were in Wisconsin, but he really wanted to go back home. And so uh, before I graduated high school, my sister um, moved back because that was kind of the whole consensus. Okay, she graduates in 88, moves back. I graduated in 94, which is when I you know, graduated high school. I moved back. And then at that time, my parents were to have sold the business in the house. Well, you know, in a small struggling town of, um, you know, 18,000 people with a paper mill that's always, you know, on last legs. And unfortunately, now it is closed. But it was hard to try to sell a business and try to sell a house and things like that. And so long story short, my sister moved in 88. My parents were still here. I graduated in 94, started, you know, with my mom's help, putting myself through just a UW Wisconsin extension school so that credits would transfer over to the University of Wisconsin school system. And for college and started doing that and working on the side to poke myself through something. And uh, then he died in 98. And so my sister's still over there with her two beautiful, um, not, I shouldn't say children anymore. They are children, but they're grown adults. Um, very, very uh, talented young uh, uh, son and daughter that she has. And I'm here um, now in Oregon, but my mom is still in Wisconsin. And your sister's where again? She's in, in Germany. Germany. She's in Oregon, Germany. Yeah. With her two children. So grown children that are both also working. So, and we've got some extended family that's still over there. And then also I've got a cousin who's my godmother and her family's in New Zealand. So 
are kind of all over the place, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole travel thing, as I was just mentioning, um, you know, it's different modes of transportation can take you anywhere and everywhere, you know, and, and when that happened, it was a pivotal moment because, you know, obviously I, I was close enough. I was only about an hour away, you know, to help my mom with things as I could and, you know, help the shop be sold and, and things like that and be able to transition to the next phase of our lives. Um, not just her alone, but myself and then my sister being overseas. And um, I kept putting myself through school. I and mean, with her help, she bought all the pots and pans and tons of dishes and whatever she could afford. She was, you know, trying to help me with what she could. And she was such an instrumental angel at that point to help me go through school when I didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, I started as a music major and then thought, well, I don't really want to do music therapy. I didn't want to be in the healthcare system. I didn't want to be a music teacher per se. I didn't feel like I was cut out for that. And the other thing at the time was either go to the services as band to help pay for things or um, to, uh, you know, be an orchestra, you know, be in an orchestra. And, you know, people have said, yes, I'm Apparently, I was good enough to do it, but you know, moved to Chicago and vie with 500 other people to try to get two seats, you know, as a flautist and just orchestra just didn't seem like it could really happen. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to, pun intended, switch gears (laughs) and uh, started going into interior design and and, um, fine art. And um, that also was my love. I just, I'm very creative. I'm also very analytical, but I'm, I'm very creative. And you know, for me, I have always loved um, colors and finishes and placement of furniture and how a space makes you feel. And um, fast forward, graduated, um, you know, in 2000. Um, yeah. And, and started working in that industry until about 20 years later when I switched gears majorly again. So just to play this back, you did interior design for 20 years. Almost 20 years. Yeah, there was, as, as with every industry, there's higher and layoffs, you know, and especially with uh, architecture and design, you know, as as the economy slows down, people get laid off, no matter if you're really talented, or if you're just, you know, kind of skating by the skin of your teeth type of thing. But so I was out for about 18, 19 years, um, practicing commercial interior design and project management for, I don't even know, probably 17, maybe. Um, doing some energy efficiency work as well. Uh, when the bottom fell out in 08, my husband and myself both lost our jobs about a year after we bought our first house together. So making do with what we can to survive and, you know, like how many thousands of other, if not millions of other Americans doing the same thing. So, yeah. So in, in totality, about 20 years of experience, but some of that was varied. I'm just thinking through that because I, when I went to college, uh, at Ohio State University. I originally picked OSU because it was only one of four colleges in the state of Ohio that offered architecture. Oh, nice. I actually went to college originally to major in architecture. And then I shadowed an architect oh. and realized this is not what I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> and switched gears. <laughs> Yeah, there's so much to architecture and design. And, you know, especially being an interior designer, um, I practiced so many years, but I wasn't a decorator, so to speak. I mean, a lot of people have a misconception of, oh, you're, you're, you know, you're interior designer, you, you pick, you know, cushions and this and that, and, and that's it. Well, not really. An interior designer goes to school so that they can 
you know, move walls and break down things and be able to build stuff just shy of it being load bearing, because if it's load bearing, and it's, you know, you got to move that type of wall, then you get an architect or a general contractor on board. So design, you've got a lot of code research, building codes, you've got a lot of different um, ADA, which is, you know, Disabilities Act for, you know, people with health, like if they're in wheelchairs, or, you know, other health issues that they can be able to walk through transitions of flooring material and all sorts of different things that's in addition to selecting furniture or working on lighting plans or reflected ceiling plans for the ceiling and the way it looks and interacts and, you know, retail, healthcare, um, tenant improvement projects, all of that type of stuff. So, and even holistic stuff. So sustainable materials and methods and practices that that was a big focus of mine as well. So there's a lot to it with that too, but I can also see how that can drive people away though, too. Same with architecture, you know, it's, it's, it can be a volatile industry. There's a lot of, um, I don't want to see egos, but there's, there can be challenges, you know, in that whole industry as there are with, of course, many industries. So you shared with me an article that you wrote, and I think it's important for the listeners to, to hear that part of your journey because you spent 20 years in that part. Right. And it, when I read this Mercedes, I related to it so much because I spent so many years of my career in the financial industry. Oh, wow. I, I had my Series 7, Series 66. I was a financial advisor for Morgan Stanley. And then you get to a point, and when I was reading your, your article here, I'm like, my gosh, you were talking to me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that's, that's the power of a good writer, that people feel that they're right next to you walking with you. Because it's their experience too. I'm going to read this, just one part of this, and then you can, we'll elaborate and then we'll talk about this kind of power to pivot. You know, pivoting can be incredibly scary, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually going to read the first two paragraphs. So every vehicle is an adventure. Every life is precious. I've learned that during my 42 years on this planet, that you shouldn't take anything for granted. And when you have an, oh, sorry, I'm reading this and I'm like, oh my God, this is like, it's hitting home to me, especially right now. You and I had some great conversation in the pre-interview where when I read this, it, it's just like, oh, it makes you pause. And hopefully everyone else pauses too. But let me, sorry, I don't mean to ruin the mojo here. It's just, I so relate no, to it. No, no, no worries. And when you have an insustainable urge to go do something epic, just do it. This mindset took me a long time to obtain. For years, I was a person who hated change. I felt comfortable <laughs> with what I knew and what I was familiar with. But I struggled with job layoffs over the last two decades and begrudgingly got up every morning just to survive the daily monotony of corporate life in a desk job. Though I stayed in that habit year after year, I became more and more miserable. A longing for change suddenly became a thought, then became a desire, and eventually became a necessity. Mm. That's really interesting to hear that. <laughs> there are so many people that can relate to this. People in general, but I'm going to talk to the ladies out there. The Femcanic Garage Tribe. 
this really hits home for so many women because so many women were either blatantly discouraged from going into something that they love because it's not ladylike or women don't do that. Right. Or in my situation, I wasn't discouraged from doing it, but I was never encouraged either. Hmm. Interesting. I was never encouraged to cultivate that. But you have a little boy playing sports and boy, eat right, son. Let's make sure you do good in sports and the world's your oyster, whatever you need. And they're encouraged. And that right there is when you get to your 30s and 40s where you start to realize enough. This is my life, not my parents' life not my children's life. It's mine. It just beautifully written. And, and by the way, there, this is just the, the first two paragraphs, the listeners, of this very succinct and pointed, beautifully written article. But this was the pivot point for you. And yeah. this ultimately, had this pivot not happened, we may have never known in the automotive industry who Mercedes was. It's so interesting, Jamie, to have somebody actually read that back to me. I wrote that article about three and a half years ago um, when I had first just switched gears and dove off the deep end and I had no idea what I was doing and getting myself into as a freelancer. Um, you know, and, and let me preface by there were so many wonderful celebrations of achievement that I had during the 20 years. I don't want to discount anybody that has a corporate desk job or a career or, I mean, I had a lot of successes and challenges along the way too. And and I don't want it to seem like everything was, oh my gosh, you know, not great. Cause I had a lot of happy times there too. Um, I think for me, it was, it was just trying to reach out of my comfort zone to understand what else can I be capable at? What else can I achieve and what else can I do? And, um, it's interesting now being, you know, having done freelance um, writing for, you know, multiple different publications, as you mentioned, some of them before and PR and writing um, and just uh, marketing stuff for automotive clients as well for about three and a half years. Hearing that back t- to me, that was very pointed. You're right. That <laughs> it was incredibly pointed. But that article, I opened myself up to extreme vulnerability, but I wanted to do that because if it would help somebody else say, you know what? It's okay. You can try. And if you fail, you can always go back to what you were doing. And if not, find something else. There's always going to be people there to, to be your champions. There will be family there to help. There will be friends there to, to lend an ear if you're just, you know, your world feels like it's caving in. And, and I think knowing that I had a safety network, knowing that I had my wonderful husband, Andy, and my mother, Hermione, and, and, you know, of course my dad has passed on in 98, but you know, sometimes I look on that and go, you know what, Papa, am I doing okay? And if he still didn't think so, then you know what, at least I know I am. And at least I know that that my mom and, and Andy and my friends are knowing that I'm giving it my all. And sometimes they don't know what the, what the end goal is, but at least I'm giving my all as to what I want to do and to try to set forth the best foot forward. And hopefully through that, through my writing, I can help elevate other women. Like you were saying, I think that's so important because as a little girl, it was never, ever assumed that we could or would or should ever take over the shop, the family shop, the welding, fabricating and, and, you know, blacksmithing shop. It's like, you would never do that, you know? And, And same with my sister, six years older, we never got the opportunity to even want to learn if we could, it just never felt like it was something you could do. 
And I think a lot of it might be generational. Of course, you know, my dad was 66 when he died in 98. I'm now 45. But whatever I can try to do to break that spirit of people doing that so that women can feel empowered, women can say, you know what, if you're not going to help me, I'll find somebody else that can. If I really want to do this, if I want to go into HD trucks, if I want to go into welding, if I want to go into wrenching or or just, you know, working on uh, rally vehicles or any of those types of things, go for it, try it. And if thought, if your family doesn't support, if your friends don't support, and if it's your really true desire, find somebody that will help you support it, you know, to support your efforts. And I want to call something out here because we oftentimes hear people's story, like where you're at in the process, meaning You've made the leap. Mm-hmm. You've been doing it for a few years. Now this is becoming the new comfortable, right? And I want to spend a little bit of time, the lead up to that pivot point, Mercedes, because that's where a lot of listeners are at. Exactly what you described there in that comfort zone. What was that like building up? to that point, because you were in that industry for 20 years. Was it as simple as one day you're like, I'm done? No, no. (laughs) How did you prepare yourself? Oh, God. Um, How about a Chinese dinner and a fortune cookie? Uh, (laughs) A little fortune cookie of, I don't know what you call those things, reading or something. Um, That was kind of the culmination. Um, Let me backtrack just a bit to explain myself. My husband, uh, Andy, works in the off-road and aftermarket industry as well. Um, And so he's in the auto industry and uh, his job requires him to go out with these fully customized vehicles, go off-roading into places where a lot of people will never see, um, challenge themselves, wound themselves out of, uh, you know, kind of tricky situations, teach vehicle recovery classes, all that type of thing. And I, I, I saw what he did and the, the photos and the experiences he came home with to talk about. And I said, gosh, you know, I should, I should try to plan my vacations around it if, if you know, they'd be okay with me tagging along and, and, and stuff like that. And that basically started the whole precipice of me planning my vacations for that and kind of understanding that bit of the industry a little bit, what these vehicles are capable of and how they get built up and the people that, that surround that whole industry. And I absolutely loved it. It just was a challenge to drive a lot of these trails or to even ride along and, and, you know, how you built up these vehicles and how to make them more capable and what what you can see was just a huge draw to me. I just felt like it just, it wasn't like I was taken to another place, but it just, it just felt so fulfilling to me. And I think that that was, that was a big change because it became, like I said, the thought came, the desire, and then the desire became more action. And, um, you know, talk to some friends that were in the industry and, and kind of understood the the pros and cons of freelance. And um, freelance is a very, very hard thing to do. Still is daily. It's, it's, there's no safety net. There's no nothing, a lot of long hours, but, you know, basically talked with Andy, my husband and said, Hey, you know, that I think I want to try to give a go at this. I think that there's some neat things that I could do in the industry and, and um, want to see what we can do. And we had a long, hard conversation and, you know, my, my last uh, job actually leading up to my switch, I was um, a contractor. So I worked for a, a company outside of who my client was, but I worked at the corporate um, world headquarters of Nike. So I was a contractor again working there. My client was Nike, but I was a department of people head for the last couple of years. And 
And, um, you know, it's like, gosh, how much longer is my body going to be okay for me to be able to jump off of boulders and rocks and run up the trails to be able to catch the next person on, you know, this and that and, and watching family aging and people having issues with knee replacements or this or that, or that kind of thing. And now I'm, you know, and I was 42 at the time when I switched and I thought, my dad died at uh, 66 years old. Andy's dad died very unexpectedly at 66 years old, five months apart from each other. They never had a chance to take their savings or what they had and be able to travel the world, hardly. So for, for me and from Andy, it basically came down to, you know what, we need to live how we can live now and be able to experience those things while we can, because we never know if tomorrow is going to be our last day. It sounds so cliche, but he was such a great champion and supporter of me to say, you know what, let's, let's, let's have you give it a go, you know, put your two weeks in and, and whatever extra time I needed to transition another person in to, to feel, fulfill my role and, and um, go full-time freelance, knowing I could always go back if I needed to go back. And I think that was what helped propel me forward. Now, just to give me a sense here, the lead up kind of like that desire where you you went through that was that over a year, multiple years? Oh, um, that's a really great question. I've never really sat down to think about it. I mean, he got his job uh, in 2006 in the industry. He's always wanted to be in the industry. And we actually met on the way to a car show. Totally random story on that. But uh, met on the way to a car show at a really weird happenstance of, of opportunity, you know, in, in uh, 2000 and have not stopped talking ever since. And so another big gearhead. But he always wanted to work with full-size vehicles and, and, you know, work in the industry. And, and so when I saw what he was able to do, it just was so much admiration for him and everything he was starting to, to achieve and so proud of him for going way out of his comfort zone. And, you know, we were tuner people, right. And we always lowered vehicles. We always did this and that with, um, you know, with different suspension and, and, you know, sway bars and, you know, exhaust and all that type of stuff. We never really drove four by fours. So neither of us knew really what that crowd was all like. So when, he got the job in, in 06. We said, all right, let's find our first little, you know, beat up kind of car or, you know, four by four. And we bought a 1995 Suzuki sidekick. And, and through that experience, I think that's what really helped bond me to that part of the industry and the people within it. And, um, and seeing all of the growth and all of the wonderful opportunities that he's had, you know, being on camera for, for TV, for radio, for YouTube, for everything, you know, for SEMA and, and all the different things, meeting some of the, the local celebrities and hosting so many different winch classes and recovery classes and things like that. It's like, gosh, there's, you know, there's got to be a way that I can fit in and make a difference in a positive manner and be where I love and where I feel like I'm thriving, where I feel like my heart really wants to be. And that for me was that part of the kind of adventure off-roading overlanding type of an industry. So you've always been a gearhead, but mm -hmm. it kind of went to that next level. It sounds like when your husband got into the industry and it just grew. Yeah. I could peek behind the curtain, so to speak, <laughs> or see mm -hmm. behind the scenes of, of how that all worked with that part of the industry, which we weren't in part very familiar with. And just seeing all the awesome people that are part of it and where you could go and what you can do and, you know, and how you can travel. And we, we are huge travel people. We don't have a chance to travel nearly as much as we want to. And someday we'd love to be able to live out of our vehicle and, and travel and work and be on the road. And 
don't know if that'll ever happen, but so kind of involving yourself um, and surrounding yourself with all those types of people. I think that's where the big draw was. It's just, we didn't know I was going to be doing this now. And we didn't really know when or if it was ever going to happen. It wasn't a consideration until seriously, probably maybe within that last year or so for me to really just make a jump and really switch gears and switch careers. I think the big takeaway here is we don't spend a lot of time in the journey, really understanding the journey of people because we see the Instagram post or you right. know what I mean? And this has been something that you've been working towards and cultivating since 2006. Yeah. I mean, indirectly, I'd say, yeah. I first started as vacations, then started connecting with a bunch of different people and, and just, you know, going on different trips and, you know, then starting, we, we have a, a, a blog site called Crankshaft Culture, and it's also social media, uh, and then a, a very active Facebook community. We started that shortly thereafter, um, when Andy started to, I actually, no, it wasn't, hang on. Uh, we got the Jeep Cherokee. I'm just trying to think, was it 2014? I think is when we started Crankshaft Culture. Um, I could be off by a few months or a year, but we started that basically to cover like four by four builds, you know, more adventure builds, that kind of thing. And, and through that, I started writing for it. And then it was just, oh, let's review this gear item. I bought this gear item and I thought, oh, this is pretty cool. We should just, you know, share it to the masses, what our pros and cons and what we think about this gear item might be. And then, you know, all the vehicle builds and troubles we had. <laughs> and so um, that blog site, I think was a big catalyst in helping really change my reflection on my creativity from interiors and colors and spaces to words and cars. But I just didn't know it back then. You know, and I, I think reflecting back, this is such a cool conversation because I, I just haven't really thought in this manner. But um, I think reflecting back is it was a, it was a hobby. It was a desire. It was something that I, I always really appreciated doing since we started getting into it. Why not make that your career? If you love it so much, find a way to make a career. And if you have to drop back in, in, in your salary, still try to make it work. I have no safety net. I left a job of, you know, very good salary and full benefits and, you know, 401k and all this other stuff for nothing. I got to make everything. I got to pitch it all. I got to, you know, do all of this stuff. But you know what? Then, you know, you're, you're your own boss, which is great, but you're also your boss. So you can't fire yourself. <laughs> so, you know, but then you can choose your own path. It's like that. I used to love reading those books that choose your own endings. You know, if you choose this, then, you know, flip over to page 84 or, or whatever. And, and I always reread them, reread them and changed the the endings just to see what would all happen. And I just, and now it's like, you know, why can't people do that? If, if they're wanting a new challenge or if they're not happy in their career, or if they're, you know, doing whatever, change it. If you don't like what you're cooking for at home, get new food, try something different. And I never used to be that way, really. I think when I'm, when I listen to your story, Mercedes, for me, the biggest takeaway is that it's not like you have to wake up one morning and put in your two weeks notice, right? Because there, there is a lot of fear around that. There's tons. You know, especially if you have kiddos, like my son has a heart condition. So not having those benefits is a major concern to me. Right. And quite honestly, one of the leading reasons why I've stayed in corporate America. Right. But the big thing I'm learning from you is that and I hope the listeners hear this, and especially women who are not in, you know, quote unquote, in the industry, right? So if I would have asked you 10 years ago, 
hey, are you in the automotive industry <laughs> or the, the off-road industry? You would have probably answered me no, right? Right, right. I'm an interior designer project manager, but we have a blog site or we have this or that, or I'm always curious about it and, you know, take trips around it. But no, I mean, as far as full, fully fledged in the industry, no. Uh-uh. And that's what I would encourage everyone, not just women, but everyone, dabble in it. You don't have to go all in. Right. But see what lights your soul on fire. Yep. Go explore what captures your attention so much. And and I'm not talking social media, right? Social media does that on its own. (laughs) But, But something other than social media that lights your soul on fire, that you look up and the next thing you know, four hours is gone and you feel like you've only been doing that thing for 15 minutes. I feel that way with Femcanic Garage. And it took me till I was 39 years old to find it. But the key is, is you keep keep looking, keep exploring. I've had multiple failed businesses, but I, I was on this journey to figure out what lights my soul on fire. That's awesome. And I didn't find it till I was 39. And I found it and it's still not my full-time job, but I'm doing more and more with it. Right. But the, the key is, is get in the game. It may just be little. Right. Yep. Maybe you don't even tell anyone else. Right. Because I'll be honest, when I told people close to me, yeah, I'm going to start a podcast. They're like, what? Why? <laughs> wow. Then I made my intro and I let them listen to it. Next thing you know, I kind of got some people's attention. They're like, that actually sounds pretty good. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> right? Now it's evolved. But the key is you don't have to have it all figured out. Just see where your heart takes you. Right. That is so extremely well said and profound. Seriously, see where your heart takes you. It, it, it really is. And you don't have to quit your job to do that. No, no, you totally don't have to. It doesn't have to be as extreme like what I did in, in 2018, where I just said, okay, I'm totally going to you know, do this. And I. But was it that extreme, Mercedes, when you think about it? Like you've been kind of, since 2006, you, you kept dipping your toe. First, it was your toe. Then it was kind of like, hey, I got both feet in here. <laughs> and it's kind of like, mm, I'm up to my knees now. This still feels pretty darn good. <laughs> It was drastic in the sense that, and I'm not taking that away because that's terrifying because I haven't done it yet. (laughs) I'm scared of it. So I have such admiration for you. Trust me, it's still terrifying three and a half years later. (laughs) (laughs) But at the end of the day, you gradually got there. And I think the, the big thing for the listeners to learn from you, Mercedes, is that, yes, you kept getting in deeper and deeper. At the end, you did make the leap. And a lot of people stop just short of that. And that was incredibly courageous and inspiring. I think to me, it kind of goes back to high school where I had said earlier in, the, in our interview that I wanted to fit in somewhere. Everybody wants to fit in somewhere, but I never really feel like I did. But in a way, I really fit in everywhere, you know, and, and that might not really make sense. It does to me, but um, yeah, dip your toe in, check it out. See what, see what makes you happy. See what makes you fulfilled. If you love books, maybe, you know, again, I just, I kind of relate to switching careers, become a librarian, or if not volunteer and read to kids or any of that type of stuff is just find your happiness zone, find what makes you happy. And, and for me, it was just, 
it was the travel aspect of it. It was being able to see what these vehicles can do and spend time with my husband, especially, and, and seeing places where a lot of the world just can't get to. I think that was just a huge draw because I, I'm from an international family. I, I just, Andy and I, I feel are at our best when we travel. Sometimes we've had very difficult um, discussions, very spirited discussions <laughs> with traveling because, you know, it's not all sunshine and roses and, you know, cupcakes and unicorns when you're traveling together. Well, sometimes you just get on each other's nerves. Right. Right. Yeah. And, but, but I think learning through those experiences though, makes you stronger and more bonded. And so I think for us, as we keep going with this all, you know, we, we kind of learn from our mistakes. We learn from those types of challenges, but then that still kind of further solidifies my fulfillment. That may sound strange, like having to go through this challenges and you really want to just beat your head against the wall because of something stupid happened, like a truck broke down or whatever happened. But mm-hmm. through that all, it makes you stronger. It makes you more prepared for the next time. You could tweak some things and then do this or that. Or, you know, I, I just think that if you're not afraid of failure, and again, it, you know, it could mean anything like, oh, if you've never had peppers before, eat a pepper, eat a bell pepper, see if you like it. You never know. You might love salsa next. You might, you know, want to make your own next. Or, you know, mm-hmm. you can snowball, but you just got to start. You got to start from somewhere. And whatever that means to you, that's what's cool is we can all pick our own thing. Yeah. It doesn't have to be necessarily automotive, but I mean, it just happens to be my big deal. And, you know, and my husband's too. And, and that's one of the many reasons why I love him to absolute death. It's, it's, you know, it always keeps us talking. And so whatever your deal is, find it. Go for it. And yeah. And I think there's an important thing here, you know, being courageous and having courage, it's not about being fearless. Courage is about you're scared to death. Right. And you do it anyway. Yep. It's not the absence of fear. I'm putting together content right now because just like you, my passion is helping women in this industry in particularly male-dominated industries, because I've spent my entire career in male-dominated industries. And even though it hasn't all been in the automotive or motorsports or skilled trades, I think there's a common language that women share if they've been in a male-dominated industry. Right. And part of this exploration that I'm doing is around this concept of work-life balance. I've always been into personal development, Mercedes, and I've always done trainings and all kinds of different things. And this work-life balance always came up. It always irritated the hell out of me, if I'm being perfectly honest, because I always felt like I was failing at it. It's like, I am never balanced. Like, how do you do this? Yeah, You know, and then, then I got into project management and Wanted to fine tune my planning skills, right? And it's like, well, even if you plan every freaking second in the day, mm-hmm. you still feel unbalanced. Right. And what I've learned is that it's a sham. <laughs> Work life balance is the biggest myth and the biggest lie we've all been told. And how many men are asked, well, what about your work life balance? Or when they have a child, oh, are you going to travel anymore? Are you going to continue working full-time? Are men ever asked that? No. And that's when I started really questioning all of that. And the point that I'm getting to here is integration. When I think of work-life balance, one, it's garbage. What I want is fulfilling relationships with my spouse, with my children, with my family, with my friends. 
And I also take a lot of pride in the work that I do. And I find purpose in what I do with Femcanic Garage. I don't ever want to have to feel that I have to pick between one or the other. Right. And that's where the word integration comes in. When I see your story and your husband's story, that is not work-life balance. That's integration. And that's how you do it. Once I started integrating my kiddos into Femcanic Garage and including them where it makes sense, where it's not just about what I want, but it's about what they like and enjoy. My daughter loves doing makeup. So when I did my photo shoot, we worked together and she did my makeup. It was the first time that she'd done makeup for someone that was for an actual photo shoot. Oh, that's cool. And it got to be mom. Nice. And she knocked it out of the park. That's cool. And we got to experience that shopping for makeup because I don't wear makeup hardly ever. Same with me. <laughs> right? I, I just don't. like. And that's what I mean by integration. And you and your husband are doing that too. And it's making your relationship stronger. Oh, I get goosebumps talking about it. And when I hear you talk about you and your husband, I'm like, oh my God, you guys are like a walking model of integration. <laughs> Good, bad, and otherwise maybe. But <laughs> Hey, it's true with everything. But it's all part of it. It's all part of the narrative. When you have those challenges, you can grow together and share in those yeah. frustrations, right? Yeah. Yep. Versus living almost these two separate lives when you leave your house. Right. I think the biggest thing for us is, you know, and for me is allowing yourself to be okay with failure, allowing yourself to be okay with not feeling happy, not feeling fulfilled. And if you need to change it, even now, I mean, every day I go through it, I, you know, it's, it's, how do you morph those feelings into something positive? And, you know, how do you stay connected when those times happen? Um, But allowing yourself the release of saying, you know what, it's okay if I fail. It's okay if I get, you know, no's. Like as a freelancer, you pitch all the time. You pitch different stories. You talk to different publications. You hopefully that you can catch their eye and, and present yourself uh, to them as potential freelancer or writer. And, you know, a lot of times you don't get any answer. A lot of time it's just no. A lot of time it's whatever it is. But to keep at it, whatever it may be, and I'm just relating to with what my story is, but to be okay to say, you know what, I'll just pick myself up and, you know, dust myself back off and keep on going, keep on trucking. And, um, and I don't know where I get (laughs) some of that drive from. I think a lot of it is from my parents because they came over here not knowing a word of English. I think they knew how to say please or thank you maybe. Um, but they then built their life. And even though they struggled a lot, I look at them and it's like, well, geez, Louise, you know, I've got it easy. At least I know the language and I, you know, and I have put myself through college and and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I think if you just allow yourself that, that opportunity for humility and the opportunity to say, you know what, it's okay if things just don't go quite right, but it's how you handle it is what's the key. And I'm totally not great at it at times, but if you allow yourself and those people around you to surround you with love and with kindness and with uplifting spirits. If you think everything is just going to, you know what, (laughs) you know, I think that that's so important Mm -hmm. for everybody. It's so well said. So well said. Wow. I I think uh, you dropped some major knowledge bombs (laughs) in introspection opportunities for the listener. I'm actually kind of chomping at the bit here to launch into the red line round because I'm really curious on your responses to the red line. Speaking of being nervous, uh, yep, right here. (laughs) (laughs) 
Are you ready for well, the red what line? What the heck? Why not? Full throttle ahead. Why not? Right. And what the red line round is? Just five rapid fire questions. No right or wrong answer. Just whatever pops into your head's the right answer. No oh boy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're right. All right. Let's do it. Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? Oh, uh, how long do we have? <laughs> um, first and foremost, if it's in the industry, my husband, hands down. But there's so many awesome people in the industry. But I've learned so much from Andy, whether it is him editing, you know, helping to edit my stories or teaching me certain things or just his demeanor and how he approaches his work. I just... I can't speak highly enough as to his talent and what I look up to be. I love it. Is there anyone else you want to mention? I know you're trying to be cognizant oh, of time, God. but is there anyone else? <laughs> um, no, no, I, I appreciate it. Um, there's so many people, but there's one in particular. Um, she came into my life um, in a very unexpected way. Her name is Sumid. Um, she lives in Massachusetts. She's raced just about everything, rallied just about anything. She's a 35-year at least industry veteran as far as um, writing. She's written for just about almost every automotive publication. Uh, and she's such an awesome mentor. Um, she's been quintessentially so important in my life. And she's become a very dear friend over just a few short years. And I just, I look up to everything that she's done, no matter if it's racing Dakar or, you know, Baja 1000 with Rod Hall or just any of these, any of these different opportunities that she had where she put herself out there. She said, you know what? I don't know, but I'm going to give it my all. And and I look at her as I'm like, God dang, if I could even do like one sixty second of whatever she's got going on, because I just she's done so many amazing things in her life. Yeah, then I, I know it's it's just the right path forward. She sounds like a trailblazer to oh, me. Hands down. 35 years in the industry. Yeah, I think at least 35. Yeah. Writing and then also racing and rallying and everything. She's just, you know. She's just can't speak enough. She sounds like femcanic material. I was going to say, I could put you in touch with her. (laughs) All right. Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck? Dear the Google. (laughs) Um, It depends on what it is. Um, There are some wonderful um, automotive, uh, professional automotive groups that are out there, whether they're just, you know, different parts of the country or they're online. Um, There's a couple of Facebook community groups that I visit very regularly and I might post questions here and there, but there's just such a vast knowledge of expertise that are, that are surrounding those types of people, other, you know, writers, other um, racers and things like that, that I think you know, I talk with them or I kind of glean information just from what they've written or just connect yourself with it. And the networking, I think, is is very important. So if it's not the dear, dear the Google for a quick answer on how to spell something, like I still have a hard time spelling the word uh, maintenance. Why maintenance? I don't know, but maintenance and consequences. I do too. Yes, I agree. Do you care sharing um, a couple of those Facebook groups that you recommend? Well, they are for automotive press associations. So there is, I think there's one that's called um, like professional media or media professionals. Then there's another uh, connection group. But I think, gosh, I've been in them for a while now. I don't know if they have a vetting process. They probably do um, because they are dedicated towards journalists that are in the automotive field. But speaking on the Facebook group of things, though, if you're any type of automotive, or I'm sure there's even for trade, um, there are so many amazing online forums and Facebook groups and even Instagram um, DMs back and forth that I've gotten to know, such as yourself. 
of fantastic men and women, everybody that are so happy to, to share their knowledge. So if you're in, you know, mechanics, if you like a mechanic, if you're a welder, if you're whatever, or just, um, just an automotive person that likes Toyota forerunners, there are groups out there for everything right now, especially with Facebook. It's amazing. And if you have any trouble at all, especially if, it, if it's vehicle related, how do I fix this? Oh, this broke or that broke or something happened. The world is just at everybody's fingertips now. It's pretty crazy, but it's really cool. And then, and we lean on that. Andy does too. And he's always online on forums and, and, you know, moderating them or, or being a part of them and good old YouTube. Yeah. YouTube too. Yep. YouTube too. Exactly. Yep. So Mercedes, what excites you most about what you do? There's something different every single day. Um, I think with that is I'm just the messenger. I just put words on paper. To me, it's the subjects that I write about, especially the people that really make the story come to life and that are my inspiration. My goal is to create inspiring content that might be very different than other people. But I think that living my life and and going through some of the things that I've done to kind of find my way here helped me make myself who I am. And I, I think if I can help shed some light on some of those other women, especially, or other people and share their story, then I'm that much even more fulfilled. It's a different subject, a different person every day. Mm. I love asking this next question, and this is not part of the red line. Ah. line so I'm, I'm doing an audible here and adding one. For journalists and other folks that do interviews and spotlight other people, what has been your most touching or inspirational story where it it just kind of took your breath away? Um, there are two that come to mind. Can I do two? Please. <laughs> there are please. two that come to mind. Um, one of them is um, Mark Tatro. He owns a, um, I believe he still owns a car dealership, but he also owns Caliber Creations down in, um, in Arizona. And he reminds me so much of my father because he's kind of a fabricator and he, he has built anything and everything. I mean, he's got a Ural dealership. He sells Urals as well, uh, which are like the, you know, the sidecar and the, the, you know, motorcycle if people aren't familiar, but he's constructed some amazing vehicles. Uh, one of them is J1, which is his Jeep, uh, Caliber Creations Jeep and that, and I highlighted him and wrote about that vehicle. And I think there's like seven or eight different types of Jeeps that are in it. There's like, you know, a, it's hugely extended. It's got a, a huge Dodge chassis at the bottom. It's got like a, a grill and a half. So I think it's got a 12 bar grill versus just a standard seven because the thing's a behemoth. I think that he's so inspiring because he's an older gentleman now, but he is such a character and he is so talented at what he does, but he found his own way. He, he was, um, did a lot of search and rescue, um, back in the day when he moved to Arizona and he realized that they don't have the ability to carry a full-size stretcher in any of the vehicles that they had. So what did he do? He created one. So he created that, that J1 caliber and it's caliber K-A-L-A-B-E-R, uh, creations down in Arizona. If you look up caliber creations, J1, um, maybe my tread article might, uh, pop up cause I wrote it for tread magazine and, uh, I look at him he saw a need. He fixed it, but he fixed it in the way he knew how. So instead of just buying something different, he made something completely unique. And just to be such a, a metalsmith in a, in a mastermind that way, I just, I find so inspiring and so uplifting because he's helped save lives and he's a hoot <laughs> and he's so funny too. 
So I think that that would be one person for sure, because every time I talk with him, I learn something new. The other person, and unfortunately didn't have a chance to really interview her much when she was alive, more so afterwards because of her legacy and so many people that are tied with her is Jesse Combs. And um, Jesse Combs is the fastest woman on earth, fastest woman on four wheels, if people aren't familiar. She died, um, you know, tr- well, she actually retroactively broke the um, land speed record, um, but she died in the process of doing that. And I look at her as such a quintessential, important and inspiring person, even though she's passed on, whatever I can do to help carry that legacy forward, because she was such a trailblazer with her spirit of, you know, kids, young kids, especially girls, women saying, you know what, if you want to become a welder, become a welder here, let me show you how, you know, or, or, you know, uh, holding classes with, um, you know, the real deal, um, with Teresa Contreras and, and, um, the folks at LGE, uh, CTS motorsports and, and, and just finding herself being just so humble, just willing to help people just say, Hey, you know what, if you want to be a part of this, be part of it. It's okay. If you're a woman, that's okay. If you're, you know, whoever you are, however you identify, all of it's okay. And here, let me show you how I want to help. And so I find that incredibly inspiring. And again, I I knew her on a, on a, on a personal level, you know, when, when we're at different parties after SEMA or this or that or whatever, I, I tried to just put my camera down. I didn't want to be the journalist in her face, yet another journalist. I just wanted to be just to get to know her and be a friend. And, and, you know, I feel we're acquaintance friends. I, I met her on a numerous, numerous occasions, but um, I think that the times that we did have a chance to belly laugh over silly jokes and this and that, she just was her and she had such a magic. And I hope that if people can help carry that spirit on and help lift women in particular and young girls in particular up into whatever they wanted to do, especially if it's in a male dominated industry to try to do so. Mm. I, yeah, I'm speechless. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree with you more, for sure. Even though I didn't, I didn't know her extremely well. I, I think about her quite often, and if I can, if I can help highlight different programs that can help. Like there's a, a huge scholarship program with the Jesse Combs Foundation. Um, there is with, uh, I believe with women in auto care, they're doing some things also with Real Deal Revolution. They hold, you know, workshops and classes and things like that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different organizations, even uh, SEMA um, Business Women's Network. Um, there are different uh, organizations that are out there to help. It's just, you got to you know, sometimes maybe dig a little bit and try to do some research that dear the Google thing I was telling about earlier, but try to put some feelers out there. If, if you're wanting to learn how to pinstripe, hey, talk to the real deal or see if they have some workshops coming on near you or, or, or whatever. Or just just ask people. I mean, people tend to really like to talk about themselves or especially what they're doing and what they're all about, especially if they're craftsmen or craftswomen. And a lot of the times they're like, yeah, hey, you know, or they'll, they'll let you know what, what organizations that are out there. You know, if, if we can have more people just to be humble and say, you know what, I'll give five minutes of my time, even though you're a complete stranger and you're just asking me about this versus being so worried about paying the trash bill and getting your laundry folded. You know, it's like <laughs> you know, doing, doing the greater good, I guess. Um, and yeah. just trying, trying to do your part. And like I said, mine now is, is, you know, not, not necessarily doing interior spaces to make people be healthy physically and emotionally, but, you know, making changes hopefully with words and cars. So to me, what's your path? Where do you want to go and who do you want to bring along with it? Beautifully said. 
Mercedes, what's a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in the industry when you feel stuck or discouraged? A personal habit. Huh. Um, that's a great question. I think a lot about Andy's father, um, Jim. And um, he's in my mind a lot. I don't know if I'd say it's really a personal habit, but he, whenever, when we still lived in Wisconsin before 2006, he'd have us over and, you know, over, I mean, like, you know, from Wisconsin, we'd travel over to Oregon and, and a visit to go wine tasting or, you know, ski Mount hood, or I, I was a knuckle dragger, so I would snowboard, but, um, but he'd always just say, Hey kids, you know, just during the dinner table, Hey kids, this and this. And he was an awesome salesman. He was so awesome. At what he did. Great speak, just a wonderful guy. And, um, he always kind of gave us good lessons, you know, stay surgical. Things are bothering you. Stay surgical. Take the emotion out of the game. You know, all of these different tips and tricks and things. And I, and that was before we moved out here and before, like, right as we were graduating college, very impressionable, very, we don't quite know what we're going to do yet. And, or you know, even right after we graduated college, but we wanted to move out and we still didn't have a chance to, to move yet. And, and a lot of that, I think my, my practice is, is hearing his voice in my head, hearing that just, you know, if I, if I feel like the emotions are getting the best of me, like last week or so has been a little bit crazy, but my practice is to replay some of those things in his words, in his voice, in my head, stay surgical, you know, take the emotion out of the game or just do some of these different things. And I, and I think for me, that's helped me try to refocus, recenter, maybe take a few minutes away. <laughs> Gotta love my laptop, but just take a few minutes away. Um, and, and just, kind of recenter. Maybe not a practice, but it's um it's, it's really important to me. I'm really glad and blessed to have known him the time that he was alive. And you actually did share the practice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you take a break, you walk away. And there's something that triggers you to do that. And it's it sounds like Andy's father. Yeah. Isn't it funny how they're always with us even when they're gone? Yep. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I, I share this with some of my guests where when a woman schedules her pre-interview and recorded interview, I could decide what the text message is that is sent to me, like what it actually says. Because the, the women that are on my show and Mercedes, you, you had an opportunity to go through this process where you actually get text messages to remind you of the pre-interview and the recorded interview. Right, right. Well, I get to choose what that message says. And the message that I have that is sent to me is what my grandfather would always say to me. So every time a pre-interview and a recorded interview is scheduled, I get a text message that says, Jamie, don't ever forget. I love you. Aw, wow. And that's it. Yeah. And I just put like grandpa down at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it though. I love it. It's it's acknowledging your past, your present and being hopeful for the future. And however you do yes. that and taking those people and those spirits with you. I mean, you know, my dad and my my mom were so talented, especially my dad. I mean, it was my mom and my dad and in a hoist. Um, that was the business. Literally, that was the shop. And so, you know, my mom did a lot of the heavy lifting, but it was just my dad essentially that did all the welding and all the everything. And, and even though later on in life, we were kind of at odds and, and, you know, we kind of had a, a little bit of a strained relationship. Um, I still think about him very regularly as well. 
even though we didn't talk for, you know, for a long while before he had unexpectedly died, I still see his wisdom. I still see his drive. I still remember a lot of that. Like it's just seared into my memory. And I think a lot of that is seeing everything he did and how hard they pushed to get jobs done or to get the next bid accepted or, or whatever it may be, but just life in general. It's like, hell, they didn't even know a word of English when they came over here. You know, they, they knew nobody. They had a, a Polish woman that had uh, known just enough broken English to be able to sponsor them. You know, back in the day, you needed to have a sponsor. And it's like, God, could you imagine? My mother didn't even own pants. And they moved in January in Chicago, where there was enough snow that was beyond car tops at that time. You think about that and it's like, oh, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, my internet went down for five minutes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's <laughs> like, you know, it's our perspective. Right. Yeah, exactly. It puts you in that perspective. It's like, God, you know, I shouldn't have to whine because I'm, you know, all of a sudden I burnt my favorite pot and I did the, 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 the whatever or whatever it may be. It's like it, it does. It's it's a total shift of acknowledgement that people sometimes, including me, very much me need to take more time to realize and remember because that I think helps bring you back to center. Step back, you know, stay surgical, right? Take the emotion out of the game and and just, um, yeah. There's a lot of days I don't feel like being spiritual. Yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm right there with you, sister. <laughs> Ooh, it's, it's like, oh boy, really testing me today, aren't you? <laughs> oh, oh, trust me, you, people probably don't want to have microphones next to me because every once in a while I kind of swear like a sailor. <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> however you can move forward. Um, but just trying to keep in the back of your brain, those voices is just so important. And, and, you know, sometimes you just go so, so fast and furious and you're just like, ah, you know, your, your balls of the walls, just nuts. And then you forget a lot of that. So what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in this industry? If you want to change something, no matter what it is, change it. It's okay to go back to where you were. If you want to learn about something, learn it. If you allow yourself the opportunity to fail and be okay with that, with being humble and being vulnerable and and maybe asking for help or, or picking yourself back up and say, you know what, it's okay, because that's the way you learn, then that's so important. And it took me more than 40 years to learn that. And I'm still not great at it. But allowing yourself the opportunity to get outside your comfort zone, no matter what it is. Like I was saying, if you've never eaten peppers before, eat peppers. If you want to do this, do that, you know, any of those types of things, it's, it's what's holding you back. You got the rest of your life to lead, but you only might have two more days. You don't know. Well said. And I can't say that I'm surprised. (laughs) It's well said based on the writing that I've read of yours. (laughs) Where and how can people connect with you, Mercedes? Oh, golly, gosh. Um, My name's so hard to spell. (laughs) Um, So you can find me um, at Mercedes underscore Lilienthal uh, or my name. I'll have links. I was going to say, please do links. I can spell it out, but we'll be here for another hour. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm just spelling my name, yeah, we'll be here for a long time. Um, So Mercedes Lilienthal, um, you can, you can hit me up on Instagram or on Facebook. Um, Also LinkedIn, um, Mercedes Lilienthal. And then I have my designate after that, my interior design designate that I still keep active. Twitter, I'm at writer with grit. And then uh, you can also follow my husband and myself via crank shaft culture. 
So we've got a blog site uh, at crankshaftculture.com and then Crankshaft Cult on Twitter, or we've got a great Facebook community that you can ask to enter. We'll, we'll accept you if you're a gearhead. And if you're not, if you want to, you know, still, uh, you know, get invited, uh, you're more than welcome to join us. And then also, you know, across the social media is also as uh, Crankshaft Culture. So, yeah, we'll include links to all of this as well. Mercedes, thank you so much for being willing to hop in the driver's seat take a little ride with me and uh, be willing to be vulnerable. Thanks so much for having me. It was, it was, you've got me thinking about a lot of stuff (laughs) and a lot of stuff that I, that I need to think about. So I really appreciate it. And, and it's been a great conversation and um, yeah, I hope to connect with some of your, uh, your listeners. Thank you so much for the time. For sure. Maybe we can meet up at SEMA this year. That'd be great if it's still going on. I'm I'm going to, I'm crossing (laughs) my fingers. Yeah, me too. I want to be safe. I want to be safe, but um, my God, I'm just ready to see people. <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's you know we we were all hopeful for that, but the New York Auto Show just what was it two days now? I think just got canceled days before it was going to be held. So all eyes are on SEMA now. So I don't know. I'd love to see you though for sure. It'd be great to meet you in person. I would six feet away. <laughs> my name is Mercedes Lilienthal. I am a freelance automotive journalist and PR marketing professional in the automotive industry, and I am a femcanic. Anna Kraft is in the driver's seat next. She grew up in Germany and pursued a degree in mechanical engineering. She moved to the United States and made her home in the Midwest. Anna spent multiple years working as a mechanical engineer before deciding to embrace her calling to become an entrepreneur. She launched Xenia Workwear, a startup tackling an issue she continuously ran into, a lack of feminine safety shoe options. Be sure to tune in next week to learn how she persuades angel investors. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a Femcanic?